Welcome to the Kaiju Transmissions podcast. Once again, I am your co-host, Kyle Bird. <clears throat> and uh, normally I have another host here who should be talking right now. Can you hear me? Yes! <laughs> I can't. <laughs> uh, hi, Matt. Yes, well, welcome back. I don't know what just happened there, but, uh, um, and, um, we are joined by, uh, our guest host, Tom. How are you? I smell really good. All right. Uh, well, that's good news, I <laughs> my, guess. Um, also. My, my, uh, my body wash ran out in the showers. My wife, my wife's, um, pretty as a peach. And the combination of these two, this is whatever mine is, some, you know, manly smell of manliness. I don't know. I just grabbed the the thing that's in the men's body wash section. But the combination of these two smells, I've, I've struck on something here. <laughs> you know, huh. to be fair, convention season is about to start. So, like, you know, people should maybe listen to Tom's advice and take showers and use deodorant and body wash i'm just saying i was gonna say i want to give a special shout out to our guest audio engineer uh uh our friend chris marty who who i'm sure people listening are probably familiar with but uh uh he uh very generously uh said before you guys start recording next you know put me on the call and i'll i'll uh try and settle some pet peeves I have with your audio. <laughs> and uh, we, we, we did some things, and, and hopefully we sound a little more even. We'll you, see should, you should say, if it's, if it's better, it's all thanks to him, and if it's worse or the same, it is not his fault at all. <laughs> that, yes. He's always very generous, and he, he really does try as much as he can to make us not sound like idiots. Um. So, so, uh, thank you, uh, guest engineer, Chris. Um, so today, uh, we are, uh, going to give our tribute, our Kaiju Transmissions tribute to the, the late Akira Takarada, who passed away recently. But first, um, we, we can talk about a couple news items real quick. I'm not sure how much there is to say, but 
Um, there's definitely some stuff to catch us up on. Uh, I'm sure oh, people yeah. have noticed we've been on a bit of a uh, a sabbatical, an extended sabbatical um, lately, just due to all kinds of stuff not related to the podcast. Um, and uh, I think, you know, me and Matt were talking. I, I, I think we're finally going to be putting things in, in more regular rotation. Um, and, uh, I have, I have some episodes I haven't put out yet that, you know, I'm kind of saving to kind of slowly put out in those slow times, but, uh, we should be, we should be back at our, our more regular pace soon. Um, so, uh, the first thing that we can talk about is, um, uh, in Japan, on the Godzilla app. There's a Godzilla app in Japan. Uh, but Toho put out a casting call for extras for an unnamed kaiju movie to be directed by Takashi Yamazaki. For people who don't know who that is, uh, he is a pretty popular director in Japan. He's made a, a lot of stuff. Um, I'm trying to think of things that people who are listening might know him from, but uh, the Parasite movies, um, Returner, that was like kind of a big-ish movie that came to video here uh, in the early 2000s, like when every Japanese movie was was huge. Um, I mean, Godzilla fans are going to know about what? 90 seconds of one movie he directed? <laughs> yes. Uh, always <laughs> 2, which has that dream sequence with, with Godzilla that uh, has just been circulated everywhere. Um, the live-action space battleship Yamato. Um, uh, the live-action... Um, or, I'm sorry, this was uh, an animated loop in the, the, uh, the third movie in 2019. Kitamura did the live-action one. Um... Anyway, uh, also he did um, uh, the recent Godzilla ride uh, film that had like King Ghidorah and uh, Rodan. It had like a really different look. At it well, not really different, but it was a different Godzilla design than has been in any of the movies. Um, he also uh, did some effect stuff. Um, some visual effects for Shin Godzilla, but, uh, uh, he, he's been begging to make a Godzilla movie like his whole life. Um, and, uh, if our dedicated listeners recall, I think sometime last year there was an episode, probably whenever that ride came out and we were talking about the, the footage from the ride. And I said, if they, I, I, I said, I swear, like, I will be very surprised if this guy doesn't do the next Godzilla movie because it's like Toho's always like dangling a carrot in front of him, you know, and it's like <laughs> it's like just, it would, it just let him do be, it already. Yeah, it would, it, it would almost have been uh, like a, a dick move. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they they keep kind of giving him like these little breadcrumbs of Godzilla stuff to do, and he's a successful director. His movies make money, and he wants to do it. So, um. I guess the caveat is it, to that is is the speculation of what this project is, because it doesn't say it. The the, the, the this announcement 
that Toho put out doesn't say that it's a Godzilla movie. It just says, we're making a new kaiju movie, we need extras. So there's all kinds of speculation, and is it a new monster? Is it a solo movie for another monster? Um, I, I mean, I, we don't know, obviously. You know, nothing's been announced, but I just, I, I feel like the signs are kind of looking like it's going to be a Godzilla movie. Um, and, and also, it's 2022 right now. I mean, 2024 is the 70th anniversary, and I'm pretty sure Toho's going to want to do something big for that. So um, I said that, too. I said it, it the 70th anniversary movie, I bet it's going to be Yamazaki. I, I, whatever episode that was, it may, I think it might have been whenever we talked about The Final War, the Toei movie. We did a news roundup. I think it's that one. Maybe not. But our diehards might remember me saying this. Anyway, I think it's probably going to be a Godzilla movie. What do you What do you guys think? How mad would it be if, like, they gave him a non-Godzilla kaiju movie? <laughs> <laughs> that would be just messed up. I'd be surprised yeah. if it's anything other than a Godzilla movie, honestly. I mean, for a whole lot of reasons. Um, the The biggest one being... Toho, you know, I mean, they they are people. People here like to romanticize them a little bit and think that they're this like small little, almost indie kind of filmmaking company because that's kind of how a lot of their movies were produced in the sixties and seventies that people kind of grew up loving. Was hey, here go take some money and go make a movie. You know, I don't even um, know. I don't. I don't even know how many people know that. Like most of Kurosawa's catalog is Toho stuff. Yeah, but but so Toho's a big. They're they're Japan's biggest movie studio. They, which means they're risk averse, just like any movie studio. Um, and so if they're going to be shelling out the money to to make, I mean, to make a kaiju movie. Um, it's, I'd be surprised if it's not Godzilla, you know, I I feel like the only other bankable for them, uh, Kaiju that they have at all is Mothra. Right. I mean, the, the other, the other thing would be, honestly, I would, I'd be, I'd be in terms of order of surprise. I'd be least surprised to see it be a Godzilla movie. I'm expecting that the most. I would be surprised if it was a Mothra movie. I'd be very surprised if it was a original kaiju. And I'd be like flabbergasted if it's, you know, like a Ghidorah solo movie or mm-hmm. something. Like, I, I, <laughs> that's never going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I I think all whatever speculation I think Godzilla seems definitely the most likely. You have a guy that loves Godzilla has obviously done Godzilla stuff in previous movies. As Bird said, like he's made some really good movies. The Parasite films I think are quite excellent. And so I, I think this is a Godzilla film. We'll see what happens. Yeah. But like I would be shocked if it were anything else. And the and the timeline with, you know, I mean twenty twenty four being, you know, an anniversary year, um it just is almost the only thing that would make any sense. And also, it was they put that out on a Godzilla app, 
which like yep. I guess there's a chance if it was something else they might do that, but if it was like some random monster movie, I I don't think that they would do that. <laughs> so yeah. we'll see. It, and with it being most likely a Godzilla thing, I feel like that colors some of the other news. <laughs> yes. Uh, speaking of not knowing what something is in being able to comfortably predict what you think it's going to be. Um, what is this? Earlier this... It's only Thursday. Maybe it was... Was it over the weekend? When did this happen? I don't even know. Within the last few days, <laughs> um, an Australian newspaper put out an article that said, Hey, there is a Godzilla vs. Kong film that is going to film here, and it's going to create X amount of new jobs. It was like... It wasn't like a studio press thing. I think someone in Australia might have found this out from the Chamber of Commerce or something and maybe prematurely talked about it. Um, and then it, it, we first saw it and we were like, huh, what? And then, of course, you know, the next day, you know, Variety, Deadline, all the, all the, all the you know, reliable American outlets started reporting it. Um, Godzilla vs. Kong sequel is the only thing that is known, um, which I, I think a lot of people have thought, oh, this is Godzilla versus Kong 2. Um, but uh, I think it's more likely it's not that, and it's another MonsterVerse film. Um, and then, you know, there's tiny breadcrumbs of things, but no, no, like the Toho thing, no real official announcement yet. Just as like, hey, this is a thing. It's going to be filming soon. It's going to create jobs. It's going to be great for Australia's economy. That was like what the report was. Um, however, uh, if people... It's like if your mom found out that they were making like <laughs> yeah. a, a monster-verse movie and she was like, oh, they're making a Godzilla movie. You know, like. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we don't know what it is yet. However, um, I think everyone remembers uh, last summer or whatever um when it was it came out that legendary is trying to do discussions for another kong movie one of the tentative titles being thrown around was son of kong they were talking to adam wingard about it um and then just the other day on one of the australian um uh like morning shows like their version of good morning america or whatever they were talking to the premiere of the city that's that it's filming in that the premiere is like their version of like the governor. Um, and she referred to it as quote unquote, another Kong sequel. Um, so here we see a lot of kind of signs that that's, that's probably what it is. We knew that they were kind of trying to do another Kong movie. We have the, 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 the governor of the city referred to it as a Kong movie. But, you know, you see a lot of Godzilla fans that are saying, like, it doesn't make sense. Why would it be Kong? And, oh, she must have misspoken. And that sounds a little more like denial to me. I mean, hey, we, we don't know what it is. It could be Godzilla versus, I don't know, anything. But uh, like the Yamazaki thing, I, I think there's, I think there's some, some relatively reliable signs that clue me to think it's a Kong movie. So that's, what do you guys think? 
if you think that Yamazaki is making a Godzilla movie, then the odds that this legendary production is a Godzilla movie become astronomical, right? Because, I mean, yes, studios can renegotiate their deals and stuff all the time, and they can do so without ever telling people. Do you mean um, a Kong movie? You said if you think he's making a Godzilla movie, the odds that this is a Godzilla movie are astronomical. Yeah, like, become astronomically high. Like, it's like it's not going to happen. Like, oh, right, right, right. like, million to one shot, right? Um, because, yeah, like I, like I was saying, like, you can renegotiate these contracts and stuff all the time, but one of the stipulations we kind of always heard behind Legendary being able to do King of the Monsters and Godzilla vs. Kong was that from like the time those movies kind of started their production, Toho would not make any more Godzilla movies. And, you know, they snuck in Shin Godzilla like kind of before that deadline. Well, I, I think when deadline, but- I think when King of the Monsters actually got its release date, like penciled in, I, that's when they like started rushing Shin Godzilla. And like yeah. they <laughs> like they told Anno, like, oh hey, your time to make this is like cut in half. Yeah. Yeah. So like that's kind of one of the stipulations we'd always heard. And and even as a general like rule of thumb, I couldn't I can't imagine a stu like two studios that are that have to be working together, right? If they're doing like a licensing thing, wanting to um dilute their own market that much, right? And put out two Godzilla movies in the same short, short span of time like that. Right. Um, so it starts to lead you towards, so it's not going to be a Godzilla movie. And if it's going to be a Godzilla versus Kong sequel and not a Godzilla movie, that kind of leaves one choice. Yeah. It also colors the, the potential or forthcoming Apple TV. Godzilla or Monster Monarch series, yeah. right? It, the the more the more you start to think that this Yamazaki thing, how do I want to phrase this? If if you really 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 want Godzilla in the MonsterVerse to continue, you better hope that this Yamazaki thing is not a Godzilla movie. Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, you know, we we in a few years we could listen back to this and say, "Wow, look how wrong everyone is." But I I don't know. I feel like there's enough evidence to support the theories here it's interesting how much just how much stuff is going on it's it's amazing to me that uh you know like in that like (laughs) not even six months between like when singular point ended and the apple show was announced like people were like come on what's the next thing (laughs) and it's like how would these people would not have survived after 2004 (laughs) Like we don't, we have, we don't, we, I don't, we haven't gone a full year without something being in production that we're aware of. Like, and Since that that like is not what 2014. Yeah, that has not been 2012. Yeah, for old folks like us, you know, because we're ancient, or at least I feel ancient. That that has not been the case. So, 
uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll we'll see how everything shapes up, and then there's still that Skull Island Netflix thing. Yeah. So I don't know. There's a lot going on. It's kind of it's still kind of weird to me. I'm just so used to nothing happening, and even though it's <laughs> like, gotta... even though we're what eight years since we started getting things regularly, it still feels like off. I mean, it's been it's been damn near ten years since uh, that teaser trailer at Comic Con. Yeah, and oh. now it's like nothing will leave us like this. It doesn't leave us alone. There's always new stuff. <laughs> well, we and we were talking about how that almost makes it kind of like harder to get excited or even disappointed by something because it's like you always just know you always know what the next thing is and when it's coming out. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, we finally got like the Ultraman season two. They just talked. They also announced the uh, Pacific Rim second season for the Black. I mean, there's oh, a yeah. bunch of stuff happening. All yeah, time. that's April, and Toho just announced uh, they're doing the that that manga, which is apparently huge. Uh, Kaiju number is it number eight? Yeah, yeah. yeah Toho eight. is doing a an animated series for that. Um, there's all kinds of stuff going on. Um, I'm pretty excited. I, I, of like all this stuff, I'd say like probably because it's eminent and everything. I, I'm mildly excited about the black actually because I mean, I didn't love that first season at all. But a big part of why I didn't love it is because like it you really have no, just I, there's no kinda, way to know where it's going. <laughs> yeah, it really yeah, just kind of exactly. stops. You know, um, so to to go back and revisit that and and then you know hit a conclusion to it um, sometime in, you know, late April. I mean, that's that's kind of neat because whether I loved it or hated it, it was way better than Uprising. Yeah, let's just hope that it's good enough that it, if it is the last Pacific Rim thing we get, which is likely, that it, it can take it out on, like, a, a decent note. <laughs> yeah, not a high, but at least, like, an acceptable, <laughs> acceptable note. Um, so, uh, enough of that. Let's, let's get talking about, uh, Akira Takarada, which, uh, I don't know. I, I guess maybe I didn't quite understand how serious his health problems were. Um, but I, I, it was pretty surprising to me. Well, I mean, he was, you know, on a, like, tour basically you know like he was doing press events and uh planned for conventions and things yeah i i remember and i, I remember at gfest in 2019 <clears throat> afterwards kind of hearing some things about how he wasn't feeling so good and it was taking a lot out of him and you know he kind of was you know holding off on doing like any of the more extracurricular things like you know nobody was really seeing him around at the convention aside from when he was supposed to appear because it was you know taking a lot out of him and stuff but i was like oh but he's like 80 <laughs> yeah he's <clears throat> 80 some years old like yeah Obviously, yeah. but uh, I, I remember when he had a stroke. Uh, 
I'm pretty, and yeah, I'm pretty sure that was that was definitely after that. I I want to say, um, and I know the the G Fest before that, 2018. He was supposed to be there, but he had some. He had to get like a surgery or something. I don't think it was quite as serious, but I do remember when he had his stroke, and we were all like, "Oh my gosh!" And then it was like, "Oh, he's okay." But uh, I didn't know that he was in a wheelchair, um, which he was, uh, yeah, like just like a few days before he died, he was doing some press and interviews because he's got a movie that he produced that's coming out soon. Um, so, yeah, it, it was kind of surprising. I mean, especially like for even, a guy his age, I mean. Even finding out he was in a wheelchair, it, they made it seem like, oh, he's just using it like because he's 87 and doesn't want to be standing for, you know, three hours while he's doing these press events and stuff. And he just needs to just take a seat every once in a while, you know, like, um, Um, but yeah, he, he just, he just always had that. Like he always seemed to have the energy of like someone like half his age, (laughs) you know? know, and he always looked good, you know? I mean, uh, yeah, just a, a very like, I mean, just a very like classically handsome dude. Yeah, yeah, and it, it, dressed like super sharp. Like at G Fest, when like it was him and Kaneko as like the two huge guests, like you could tell which one was a director and which one was an actor. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> um. Yeah, he he always looked good you know and um i i don't i don't mean this in a dis i don't i'm trying i'm not trying to say this in a disparaging way but it's you know like when when we see akira kubo pop up in things now we're like oh man he's he's really looking old you know at no point did i ever think that when i would see like a picture of takarada doing you know a, a meet and greet or a press event or uh or a thing like that, right? I mean, yeah, you'd be like, oh, yeah, he's he's older, but like, you're like, man, he still he still looks damn good for how old he is. You yeah. Know? Um, and uh, one thing about uh, why we picked the two movies we're about to talk about, there are some threads to Godzilla in them, but I, I think it it, it kind of uh, is overlooked in America how much talent and range he had as an actor like in in japan he was at one time like super a-list i mean he he was known as like japan's version of clark gable here um and he you know he's in everything musicals comedies war movies romance dramas um unfortunately just because of how things are you know a lot of his work outside of, you know, the kaiju and sci-fi stuff um isn't readily available here but uh and that and but, uh, but that's a shame. Um uh, but he's one of those actors that anytime he's he's on screen, you know that he's going to be good. You know, he always seemed to th- he always seemed to th- throw a lot of intensity and um, really, really throw himself into everything that he did. He was one of those those guys that always brings his A game. Um, 
And uh, we've talked about, if we hadn't talked about it already, I'd imagine we'd be talking about The Last War today because, I mean, wowie zowie, what a movie. Um, and he's just great in it. Uh, it's a great dramatic performance. It's unfortunately super relevant, especially right now. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I just, we all love him as a personality, but I think, I think it's a good, a good excuse right now to talk about just him as an actor. Yeah. Yeah. He definitely was, I mean, the the more I see of him and I mean, he's a magnetic personality in the Godzilla movies that he's in. I would say X, maybe the the Heisei stuff where he kind of just stands. <laughs> yeah, out Godzilla vs. Mothra. Yeah, where he know, just walks around in a room. Yeah, but like, I mean, yeah, even in the Godzilla the Godzilla movies that he's you know featured in, yeah, he's a he's a very magnetic screen performance, and he's got charisma. Um, and he, you get to see a little bit of his range, right? Because in in the original Godzilla, yeah, you, yeah. he's he's um, you know v- very likable and a little a little more uh, like a little, like he's like a little bit more of just a likable character. Whereas in Mothra versus Godzilla and then Invasion of Astro Monster, he's more a little more aggressive, right? He's because he's kind of a jerk to um, to Yunko in Mothra versus Godzilla, and then he's you know the the intimidating brother um in in monster zero right so you get a little bit of that range and then in sea monster he plays that like that that um han solo esque kind of scoundrel um so you get a little range of him but the more than i've expanded and seen him in things outside of godzilla um you know i saw him in he's he's in the three treasures uh which is a really good movie a little long and very culturally specific so not the easiest to relate to but you get to see another side of him in that yeah the last war yeah what an amazing movie and what a fantastic performance from him and also frankie sakai um but and then yeah and then these these two movies that we're about to talk about well and and, you know king kong escape too let's not forget that but um yeah Watching these two movies and The Last War um, really makes it feel like a shame that, you know, we don't get, uh, I'm just looking at some of his filmography here, like um, A Wanderer's Notebook. I don't know what that is. It says it's a Japanese drama film. Um, There was like something about Tales of a Golden Geisha, which is a Japanese comedy. Like, I I think that's a, I think that's a movie by a director called Juz. I think Juzo Itami, Chris, who who helped us with our audio, he said uh, those are great. You know, yeah, those. I don't know what his roles in those movies are, but like, it's like a shame that I don't know them and that they're not maybe a little more readily available, right? Because the more you see of him outside of being this sort of side piece in a Godzilla movie, the more you realize he really was a really good actor. Um, 
Yeah, and Godzilla, I think they filmed it when he was 19, and it came, I, he was 20 probably when it came out. Uh, he was born in uh, 34, 1934, in Japanese-occupied Korea, um, and he, he grew up in Manchuria, China. Um, yeah. Uh, at G-Fest, um, well, it, and the, one of the things about it, Takarada doing so many interviews and stuff in the U.S. is you get a lot of repeat questions and stuff. <laughs> you know, uh, most of the time I've seen him interviewed, he's talking about uh, Godzilla 54, obviously. A lot of people ask him about Nick Adams, um, who he oh bad boy yeah who yeah he he <laughs> likes to, still to this day likes to call him horny Nick um uh but uh, he told us a really good story when he was uh, doing his Q and A at uh, the the G Fest in 2019 about growing up in uh, yeah. in Manchuria. This, this story was like insane, and for me, it was the first time I'd heard. I it. never and, heard it either. Uh. It's funny because th- it was the first time I heard it, and then I feel like I went on like around when he passed. I feel like I I saw a a decent um, sort of tribute article from I I wish I could remember what site. There were quite a few sites that put out you know tribute articles. Yeah, it it made like a uh it like it was international news when he died like honestly i i like i would be surprised if he's left off of the oscars memoriam like they even yeah. did they did nakajima when he died and and i saw a, a decent sort of you know obituary on him that mentioned this story so it's it since i've heard it at g fest i went on to hear it a, a couple more times it seems like it's starting to make its rounds but he was 11 years old, living in Manchuria, China, and the Soviets invaded right in the wake of World War II. This is, you know, now that the Cold War starts and the Soviets are kind of taking over everything. And he thought he saw his brothers being rounded up by Russians and taken onto um, either a bus or a train. I, I thought I remembered hearing a train in his story when he initially told it, but um, it might, might have been a boss. But either way, he you know went to go run after it because he was basically thinking, oh my God, my brothers are going to be taken to like a prison camp and, and killed by the Russians. And he's 11 years old, so you know he's not thinking super clearly, obviously, and he goes to run after the bus. And <clears throat> a Russian soldier, to discourage him from running after their their kind of prison transport or whatever it was strafed at him with a machine gun. And he said he felt a punch and he, you know, looked down and saw blood all over his clothes. Um, at this point, because it was, you know, like an active war zone, hospitals were closed and everything. So his mother did get a doctor to just come and like stitch him up. But over the next, couple months he noticed like anytime he moved it would hurt and that like his clothes brushing against where the wound was would hurt and it wasn't healing well um and you know they had the doctor come back to his house and was like oh it's it's infected um they might have had like a different doctor maybe i think come and be like it's infected 
did they ever take the bullet out? And his mother being like, I don't, I don't know. I was, you know, you got shot. Right? <laughs> and him being like, he was just constantly in pain for like months. He was in pain. Um, and again, hospitals are closed and doctors are not at this point carrying around anesthesia with them. Um, so his mother pinned him down and then they tied his arms and legs to a bed and they basically told him to like bite down on a piece of cloth and performed surgery on him to take the bullet out. Uh, the doctor took his mother's clothing shears, heated them up over, you know, like a candle, uh, and performed surgery to remove the bullet out. Uh, he'd gotten lead poisoning and the wound was like necrotic and rotting. Uh, he said it healed over time, but that, you know, he, he wound up joking. He, he wound up making a little light of it at the, at the G fest panel, you know, after telling this, this harrowing story about this 11 year old kid being tied to a bed. And, you know, being sliced into by clothing shears. Remember, no, pa no painkillers. Right. No <laughs> and, and screaming and, and, you know, also not really, he's 11 and he didn't have like formal school schooling, especially because he grew up during World War II. He had no idea what was going on other than this guy was cutting his stomach open. Um, he, he wound up then joking that, uh, he, he could he could always tell what the weather was going to be better than the weatherman because over the rest of his life he said he could feel like little twinges and pains when it was when the temperature was going to drop or it was going to rain and everyone was like ha ha that, that's <laughs> horrifying <laughs> um uh so yeah, from nineteen uh, the fifties through the day he died, he was still uh, acting and worked a lot. Um, he joined Toho's New Face program in nineteen fifty three. Um, after a couple minor roles, he got cast as Ogata in Godzilla, and that kind of blew him up. And he's he had acted steadily his whole life. Um, I mentioned, uh, he's, uh, done all kinds of stuff, musicals, commercials, uh, sci-fi dramas. Um, later in his life, he did a lot of voiceover, uh, work, um, some of which may surprise you. Uh, Matt, what are, what are some of his, uh, I guess, more notable voiceover roles? Well, he did Jafar, uh, in, in Aladdin, which is, um, I mean, I I had no idea until I really passed about that one. I think, but he then, he still he still did Jafar's voice. Um, the video games, right? yeah, like throughout the years. He yeah. anytime Disney Japan needed Jafar, you know, he he was the one doing it. That's pretty. Yeah, impressive. That, is, that is pretty cool. Uh, he did Bendu in Star Wars Rebels. Um, the Ian McKellen, uh, McKellen role in the in the version of Cats. He did uh, Radagon, Radigan in the Great Mouse Detective. Uh, Henry the Bear at, at Tokyo Disneyland's Country Bears Jamboree attraction. So I mean, he's done a lot of different stuff, and I think we talked about it, uh, you know, a few minutes ago. But like his talent, like the ability to not just 
it's not just the monster stuff he's done the comedies and dramas and musicals and also voice acting like his talent was just off the chart really really impressive so um if anyone out there uh or any of us <laughs> get to go to japan one day and uh check out uh tokyo disneyland if you go see the country bears you'll uh you'll you'll hear them um uh he uh, also uh, as he was a little older he he was an activist for peace and uh, anti-war and anti-nuke causes um he was shy about talking about his uh experiences with war and his political views until he was in his 60s because he thought when he was younger it wasn't appropriate for actors to talk about those things um uh but he realized Every now and then, you know, when he slipped in an interview and mentioned something, you know, it, it, people really found it interesting. Um, and then he he sort of embraced it and told his stories. Um, uh, as recently as July of 2021, he was part of an international conference uh, sponsored by the uh, Asahi Shimbon, if I'm pronouncing that right, which I'm probably not, uh, to speak about nuclear weapon uh, abol- <coughs> abolishment. Um, and just four days before his death, what was, I'm it had to have been his last interview, maybe, maybe not, but w- if not, definitely one of his last interviews, um, he gave his thoughts on the Russia-Ukraine conflict, and uh, he felt um, that he, was, he could relate to it. Uh, he said, and I quote, After the end of World War II, we also came under attack by Soviet troops. The same thing is happening again. The young boy facing the situation in in Ukraine is me 77 years ago. Um, so kind of a, a somber and timely, you know, last interview to give. Uh, and his last role was in a, an upcoming movie called If There Were No Cherry Blossoms in the World, We Endured, which I'm sure somewhere in international marketing will make that make more sense at some point <laughs> uh it looks like it might be called life in bloom that is a much better that that must be like a international friendly <laughs> you know sell to the film markets <laughs> title uh which he also produced um and uh kind of oddly enough in that movie he plays a spiritual advisor and whose job is to comfort people who are getting ready to die um but he died uh march 14th um that's what, 10 days ago now? Um, at the age of 87 of pneumonia. Boy, that, that movie, um, it might be a hard watch if that's his role and everything in it, but uh, I, I do hope, and, and I, I really, you know, I hope this isn't too morbid a thing, but I, you know, I, I hope that with his passing, maybe we get a chance to see it here. Yeah, you know? I would love to. I mean... Yeah. Uh, it would be great. I mean, his, 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 I mean, his family has really good relationships with, you know, the Godzilla fandom and, you know, people that, uh, run G Fest. So, I mean, I'm just fantasizing at this point, but like, how cool would it be if like they brought it to the convention the way that Kaneko brought, um, linking love or something like that, you know, I, I think that'd be super cool i'd love to see it i'd i mean i'd i'd watch anything he's in uh, like i said it's really annoying <laughs> that so many of his movies aren't uh easily available unless they have you know rubber monsters in them um yeah 
so and what a you know we 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 talked about what a great actor he was. I mean, we all got to meet him at one point. What mm-hmm. just a great personality and a person. And you know, you get to meet a lot of these people. And and for me, all I all I want out of the experience really is is the picture and the autograph and a chance for me to say you know thank you, right? Yeah. Because you've entertained me for hours. I just want to say thank you. Um, and like for Kaneko, that's that's what I got. And I mean, because the dude just hang around with Shizuki Kaneko for a while. He does not like um, to be in public, really. Right. He just he has the this sort of director kind of uh, personality to him. Um, Takarada opposite. Right. You, you would go and meet him and he would shake your hand and he'd say, what's your name? And you'd, you'd tell him your name and he, oh, you know, and he'd like. He would always like he'd have a little thing to say. Oh, your name, um, and he'd he'd have like a little thing to say about you, a little thing to say about your shirt or your or your your hair or whatever, right? A little thing to say about the thing you're signing. Like he engaged um, really, really well, and that was like more than I could possibly ask for. You know, especially for a Japanese guest, he's pretty decent with his English. Then mm-hmm. that he was able to. I, you know, not a great conversation or anything, but just to exchange a few words with him was actually really awesome. Um, <clears throat> and he was just such a, just such a charismatic person. So I think, uh, when you think about like how the convention circuit set up a lot of times, the, the people signing them, like everybody, they just, you come in, you get your signature, they kind of usher you off and they push you through the line and that's it. But with him, he really took his time with everybody. Like it, like he was making conversation with people. So the lie would be long, but once you got there, he made sure that you, it, it was special for you. And I think like the fact that he did take that time with people is, I mean, important. And at, you know, it was important to him. And you see the same charisma in person that you saw all throughout the movies that you watch. And as Tom mentioned, like his English actually was pretty good. And we see that in one of the movies we're talking, we're going to talk about here in a few minutes. So I think, he just, you know, it, he's, it's weird. I don't think it's actually kind of like hit yet for me for whatever reason, because he's in two of my favorite four movies of all time, you know, Godzilla and Monster Zero. And then he's you know done a bunch of other stuff as well. And like, it's just, it's just kind of one of those weird things that like, I don't feel like, I don't really know how to feel about it. But what I do appreciate is, is the work that he's done his engagement with the fans, you know, he always really embraced monster movies. Like we, we talk a lot about um, how a lot of the actors in those films, they kind of did it for a job. And then it wasn't until years later that they started kind of appreciating Mm -hmm. it. He full on, you know, was embracing it from the get go, which is, I think really unique, especially for someone of his stature as an actor. Yeah. Um, And a lot of that is, I think he really did agree with the message of the first movie and just just Ishiro Honda's philosophies in general um I think it's something that he always took with him and appreciated his whole life and I I think that's why he seemed you know maybe not embarrassed like you know some other people might have might have been at a certain point in their lives um and, uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, I've, I've been to two conventions that he was at and I mean, what can I say about him from what I saw? 
as a as a just a person is i mean the guy was a character <laughs> um I mean, genuine. I've 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 been to a lot of conventions, whether it's Godzilla or not, you know. And you know, I I've seen plenty of guests, uh, both bigger stars and lesser stars than him, that have seemed miserable. And I mean, he was just always engaged and always like creative with you know his conversation with people. Um, <laughs> I don't even I don't mean even mean this in any kind of demeaning way. But uh, he also he, uh, uh, he liked to make money, <laughs> so it's like every convention he he went to, he always had some kind of crazy, like <laughs> like crazy like exclusive thing that he was selling that he would sign. I think at the last one it was like this tea teapot, kettle right? that was like shaped like Godzilla's head, and it was the ugliest. Thing. <laughs> <laughs> but the guy was just a. He had so much fun with stuff like that. That's that's what I mean. Like, yeah, just a character, and I mean, uh, it it was always great seeing him like reuniting with you know his co stars. Like uh, the 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 first convention I went to that had him, the first G Fest, it, it, it was him and Linda Miller, and and they did like the King Kong Escapes reunion panel, and they were just hilarious together, you know. And and you know talking about like you know in their, I don't I don't know how old Linda is. Probably, I'd guess maybe in her sixties. Uh, uh, but you know them talking about you know all these years later, you know how they like kind of had like a little crush on each other and stuff like that. I mean it, it was just a, a fun. It was just delightful. Um, and I, yeah, I guess that's just how I always would think of him. Is just. He's just a delightful person. Probably a like like you mentioned, like him taking on the the mentality of of Honda. Probably a very good thing for him that his first movie was Godzilla because he even talks. And this is one thing I had heard before G Fest, and I think maybe one of the most commonly kind of told stories about him is, you know, he won that competition or whatever it was for Toho's like young faces or whatever it was. And he said he kind of walked into the Godzilla set with a little bit of swagger. Oh yeah. Like I know knowing the story. Yep. I, I'm the next big thing and I'm, and he got on the set and you know, uh, Takeshi Shimura was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> Go stand in the corner. And, and Honda was like, yeah, you're not having that attitude on my set, you know, and uh, they like on this first day, just like immediately put him in his place. Um, nobody knew who he was. And he realized like he wasn't even the yeah. star of the movie. Yeah, really. Well, what like, they told him is they were like, yeah, you're not the star of this movie. Godzilla's the star of this yeah. movie. And he was just like, uh, oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, they just put him in his place and, you know, you have a couple of uh, more just veteran people who are willing to do that, but also willing and able to do it in a way that uh, the guy learned from it, you know, um, and helped make him the, the, the uh, somewhat humble, more humble version of himself, you know, and, and really um, 
make him the guy that he was, you know, and that have that positive kind of attitude too, when he's on all these sets uh, and not necessarily being the star, although he's the star of the movies we're about to talk about. Yeah. Um, and you know, now there's, you know, people are complaining more trying to get that, uh, deleted cameo from Godzilla 2014 out there, which, Hey, I would love to see, but I mean, it's up to Warner brothers, <laughs> right? Yeah, I feel I, like people keep, keep coming at the wrong person on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, the studio will put it out if they feel like they need to, I mean, I'd like to see it as much as anyone else, but, you know, let's not get crazy here. Um, so, yeah, be, because, you know, we, we, we've shared some uh, uh, crazy war stories and stuff. Uh, and also, you know, we're, we're here to talk about someone that died. I mean, even better reason to, to talk about two movies that are so lighthearted um, but also, like we mentioned, I mean, they really show off his chops for comedy and, uh, excellent comedic timing. So, uh, two movies in, I guess, what's known as the 100 Shot, 100 Killed series. There are two of them. Um, the first one is called 100 Shot, 100 Killed, known internationally as Iron Finger, uh, which was obviously the, you know, Toho International's attempt to uh kind of cash in on you know gold oh it's gold like goldfinger um and then uh the second one is uh booted babe busted boss aka golden eyes um from 1968 um uh some some in, some fun trivia uh if if you remember the scene in Final Wars, where Takarada is escaping from the aliens, and he says, they used to call me Mr. One-Shot. That is a mm -hmm. direct reference <laughs> to these movies. And not only that, but uh, that was not, you know, Takarada's idea or anything. It was Ruhei Kitamura that came up with the idea to do a callback to these. Um, so uh, That can't be right, because he hates... <laughs> Everything that's not the Matrix. <laughs> yes. So yeah. Anyway. So you know. Again, that old myth of Kitamura not caring about any of this. I mean, he he was he was the one that was like, we got to do a callback to One Hundred Shot, One Hundred Killed, and that's how that line came up. So uh, if only if only he'd gone the extra mile and said, uh, um, uh, your character cleaned up his act and became the secretary general and those are canon <laughs> with Godzilla Final Wars <laughs> but uh that didn't happen but we can all pretend um so these are two uh directed by Jun Fukuda um and we're going to start by talking about 100 shot 100 killed aka Iron Finger uh for the record um I want to say both of these are available streaming on Criterion channel they are floating around the interwebs in uh, less official uh, ways. But easy to see if you have a Criterion streaming service, which is actually really good. Um, I've had it for a couple years now. They basically have the entire Criterion collection. What's cool about that is 
In addition to the movies, they also have all the special features you'd get from a Criterion disc. Um, so the only stuff I still get from Criterion is stuff that I really love because, you know, when Criterion's license runs out, you know, I, I want to have it. Um, but it, uh, it, it's, a, it's, it's one of the more underappreciated streaming services. Um, I promise they did, this podcast was not paid for by Criterion. <laughs> um, I just wanted to let people know where they can watch them, and if they do sign up for it, that it's not an entirely bad use of your, your money. Um, I don't know. I've talked a lot. Um, directed by June Fukuda, Iron Finger, 1965. Oh, written by Kohachi Okamoto, who we've talked about in this podcast before. Um, he's, uh, known for, um, some war movies like, uh, Battle of Okinawa, which is excellent. Japan's Longest Day, which is also excellent. Um, uh, The Big Boss, um, not the Bruce Lee movie. Uh, and, uh, Sword of Doom. <laughs> a lot of really, really good stuff. He's a really good writer. Um, and also, if you remember us talking about, um, uh, he's also the the director that Hideki Anno probably like most wants to be. Um, that's Okamoto and uh, another guy named uh, Michio Suzuki. Um, but anyway, I've talked a lot. Who wants to tell us what this is about? I could do the first one because uh, uh, yeah, I, I remember this one quite well. I, this so this is. Uh, 100 Shot, 100 Killed, a.k.a. Iron Finger. Um, yeah, this is... Uh, it starts with Takarada sitting on a plane, writing a letter in French to his mother in, in Paris. And he's, like, dictating the letter out loud as he's writing it, and he's saying, you know, oh, I'm having a good trip. Um, you know, we're traveling from Bangkok. We're, we're heading to Hong Kong. Uh, I've been traveling with this one, like this one guy and I have been sitting next to each other on a plane this whole time. And he's finally agreed to show me around Hong Kong. And the guy is like, I haven't agreed to show you anything. Please stop talking to me. And he's like, Oh good. You're finally talking to me. Um, and that's how kind of Takarada, you know, worms his way into this guy. um, he then we then see the two of them bump into each other on like a street and he's like, Hey, do you got a cigarette? And the guy's like, how many cigarettes have you bummed off of me over the last week and a half? And he's like, well, I see you about eight times a day and this is the eighth day. So you've given me like 64 cigarettes. <laughs> that guy's played and, by uh, uh Susumu Kurobe who played a uh, Hayata in Ultraman, by the way. Oh, yeah, so then uh then as they're standing there talking, um Takarada says, Oh, my mother mentioned uh she wanted to know where Lebois was. And the guy's like, What are you talking about? And then a assassin comes by and kills this other guy. And as this other guy is dying, he's like, Lebois is in where does he tell him to go? Tokyo, I think. So, so off goes our main character who we, you know, shortly then learn his name is Andrew 
Hoshino, you can call him Andy, um, to Tokyo, where he then finds himself sort of in the middle of this uh, gang war between these two gangs who are also involved with a an arms dealer who is smuggling what he calls a CRS pistol from Hong Kong into, into Japan. Um, it's called a CRS because it's like, I forget the the actual weapons, but you know, it, it looks and acts a lot like a Colt, which Americans carry and also like a Ruby, which, or Ruger maybe, which, uh, I forget, like maybe it's the Chinese or the Russians or something carry. And then also like the Smith and Wessons that it's like, it's designed after three different guns that various different international police carry. Um, and, uh, he then is, is kind of just, just plopped in the middle of this sort of arms dealing thing. And along the way, everyone is constantly like accusing him of being an Interpol agent. And he's like, Oh, I am. And like, he never denies it, but he never says, uh, that he is one. Um, and he's trying to just stop these, these arms dealers and these two gangs from sort of a all killing each other, which kind of sort of happens a little bit anyways, but then B, you know, being, being gun smugglers and gun runners throughout, uh, Tokyo along the way, he comes across, um, Miehama, uh, who is playing this sort of femme fatale who, is an expert with plastic explosives. He comes across, um, he, he comes across Akihiko, Akihiko Harata, who's, um, this, is he, is he playing, uh, pretending to be a, a detective or something, whatever. He's, he's also an assassin though, who like, um, in a, in a very bond kind of, kind of style has his own special way of dispatching people, which is like some, acid that he carries around in a in a, a flask at all times and he also is is ends up working with very closely ichiro Hiroshima, who we all know as mr taco from king kong versus godzilla and you know they're they're kind of working together to take down this this labois who's sort of the 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 kingpin of this this arms smuggling ring and um you know, it all culminates in a a large action set piece, but that's also quite comedic with like explosions causing oil drums to fly around and smack people in the face and things. And um yeah, it's, it's he he plays Takarata plays Andy Hoshino as like um sort of a, a more goofy kind of affable oafish kind of bond like he's constantly looking like he trips but he means to you know that kind of thing um and and yeah that's it's a it's a funny spy parody type of movie did you did you guys notice when akihiko harada throws the acid at the painting of uh miyahama um, the painting all starts to like blacken and melt away, except for right on her crotch, a little heart. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's this movie 
I think the thing that is most endearing about this movie is just how like inexplicable some of the action sequences are. Like the first movie or the the first movie, the first scene where like you talked about that one guy getting assassinated. Don't they like they throw this thing around the dude's neck and pull him down the street on a motorcycle? It is <laughs> it's wild. Yeah, uh, and like the final, like the climax has uh, it's. <laughs> Like just the way that everything plays out, the climax is, is a lot of fun. It, it you might say it's it's barrels of fun. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, this is a really clever little movie. Um, you know, here I, I think it, it often gets. I mean, it, it's it's definitely you know a parody of spy movies. You know, if if not for the crazy success of the James Bond movies, you know these wouldn't exist but i i i think it's a little it's too much of a disservice to say that oh they're they're james bond parodies which i, I think is how they're mostly referred to at least here um and you know of course the american titles for the both movies being <laughs> so similar to james bond titles doesn't help but uh um, just because the character of Andy Hoshino is so not, not James He's Bond. not James Bond. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I, throughout the whole movie, he, he really seems kind of bumbling and, uh, and, and stuff. And, you know, you, you never really know how much of it is an act, uh, you know, um, but uh, he he's very it's funny, like the, and you know like the the negative image of Bond, you know, like like, and by that I mean like like the inverts, yeah, right. Whereas Bond is calm and cool and collected, and you know he's a spy, and you know what side he's even on. Andy Hoshino is is kind of bumbling and oafish and not suave. Um, but not, not like uncharismatic, just like he's, he's affable. He's very affable and very like, he's always smiling. Um, and, and yeah, he, you, you never know for sure whether he's with Interpol or some other just spy organization. Um, Arashima accuses him of being like just a hired assassin at the end of the movie and he never uh refutes that either <laughs> so it's it is like he's just the opposite kind of of bond yeah uh there's a great part where like all these guys are chasing him and like he tries to do like a roundhouse kick and like completely <laughs> misses and like <laughs> falls on his ass um there's a another part where he he you know, is beating a guy up with a plunger and interrogating him with a plunger, like shoved in this guy's face. Um, and you know, sometimes he he feel he seems incompetent, but then you know his his whole uh, mo is that you know he he shoots anything he aims at. You know, he he never misses a shot ever. So it's like. He's always more than what you think he is, and uh, that's what's cool about this character. I mean, it's 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 kind of a shame that there's only two movies. I would watch Andy Hoshino movies. I would watch seventy of them. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. 
it's the kind of thing that uh would almost be fun to kind of reboot at some point. Um like early in the movie when he uh he gets the drop the drop he gets the drop on him by uh Miyahama and then she uh, she she gasses it she no she uh does she gas him what does she do yes she offers him a cigarette and he says oh thank you and then he lights the cigarette and like it explodes and um cuz she gasses him and he wakes up and he's in the car with uh that guy who's like i'm about to kill you you know like say goodbye and he does that thing where he where he how does he trick the guy to get out of the car in the first place? I forget. But he, he considers like a uh, like a tracker, and he starts screaming for his partners to come. Yeah, the guy he says that like, like uh, his partner <laughs> is like, uh, yeah, is coming on his way or yeah. whatever. Yeah, and the guy gets out to look, and meanwhile he manages to escape the the ropes that he's trapped in, and you know when the guy gets back into the car, he sprays like silly string in his eyes and. Uh, then, then uh, handcuff not handcuffs, but ties the dude to the car, um, like his <laughs> hands to the steering wheels. Then later, he's like, when the guy's passed out, still he's using him to drive. That's really good. And then also when he when he sticks the gun into the dude's back, and he's like, "All right, now slow down. I'm gonna open the door and then close it. And my signal to then speed back up is when you hear the door close." And he uses that as like an opportunity to jump out of the car. That's like all really clever and fun spy kind of stuff, you know, like it's cool. I love it. Um, and, love uh, it. Mie Hama is great in this too. I mean, she, she could, she could carry this movie almost without Andy Hoshino. Like she could have her own movie that I would watch. It's, and this it, is it's, this predates her appearance in You Only Live Twice. Yes, indeed it does. Um, but she is fantastic, and uh, her and Takarada have have great chemistry. And uh, like, it, it's one of my favorite performances. I've it might be my favorite performance of hers. Which it's it's almost a shame that her that this movie predates you only live twice because if you flipped the release dates on those and this came out after Miyahama was probably a pretty big star after you know or at least you know more internationally marketable uh after you only live twice and being a bond girl and you know having like a bond girl movie i feel like they really could have could have sold this more to where i would have heard about it before Five years ago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, I guess, granted, having a Bond girl in it is why it's on Criterion Channel and, you know, kind of still floating around and stuff today, right? So, at least thankfully for that. <laughs> um, but Arashima Irish- Ar- is really good, too, as usual. Yeah, yeah. He's right? not uh, He's not Mr. Taco- crazy but <laughs> but he he's he is a lot of fun um 
the handshake at the end cracks me up. Like grabbing him and not letting him go, and he's got these like wacky. Oh yeah. <laughs> And yeah, you're kind of like never, you're not really sure where they're going to go with it because you're like, is he going to like arrest him? <laughs> like, is there some other twist we're not seeing coming? It was, that was pretty cool. It's one of those things where whenever you think it's going to stop, it just keeps going. Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, there's, there's, there's some, some cool stuff in here. I like the, the acid that, uh, Hirata throws on people. You know, and it, you know, they, they like their faces melt and stuff. He has a pretty gnarly death scene in this. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Um. Oh, also, uh, you know, Godzilla, Godzilla fans, uh, eagle-eyed. I wouldn't even say eagle-eyed, but you know, Godzilla fans who actually watch the movies, um. So I know that's perilously few of you, uh, <laughs> but you you will recognize Andrew Hughes, the the actor, the the Caucasian actor in um, like King Kong Escape. Yeah, he's. And... You might not know the name, but you if you run a Google image search, you know him. He, he, he yeah, destroy all monsters. He was in um, not a Toho movie, but Terror Beneath the Sea. Um, golden bat. Yeah, golden bat. I mean, yeah. Anytime they needed like a an old white guy in a '60s Japanese movie, you know, that's like who they get all the time. <laughs> and he he's got a bigger role in the the next movie too. Yeah, he, uh, he's in some movie. I was just looking at his credits real quick, but he's in some movie um, called. Not struggling with the English title here because I went and actually clicked on the link. Um, it's called Crazy Adventure from also 1965, where he plays Adolf Hitler. <laughs> that might be, that's probably a Crazy Cats movie. I'm not a Crazy Cats expert, so you know maybe someone can can correct me, but uh, I believe it's a Crazy Cats movie. Um, Anyway, this thing is, the, the, the like, every cast member is, like, this is, like, among the the most fun I've seen them have. Um, and this, this ties into a, a point, you know, that, that I, I do feel maybe a little bit bridges us between this movie and the next one. But still, just to relate kind of what this movie is and how it feels and how both of them feel is if you are like me and you really like Godzilla versus the sea monster or AKA Godzilla, Ebra, Mothra, big battle in the giant South seas or whatever the stupid title is. <laughs> um, and, and you really dig like the, the spy parts of it and how, it, how that feels like the Godzilla riff on bond and things like that. That's these movies are those parts. The, the spy stuff, the slinking around the base, um, the sort of like funny interactions between the, the humor the is villains. very similar. Yeah, yeah, they're they're that's what that's what this is like, and that's why I it just that's that's one of my favorite Godzilla movies, and that just sings to me. So these this movie is awesome. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's so like um, that 
that like charmingly kind of innocent type of type of comedy, you know? Um not not a buddy comedy in the same way at all, but you know, like that that Bill and Ted type of comedy where it's just like very wholesome and you know, it's not all about being nasty to everyone. <laughs> um yeah, you get to see Akira Takarada slide down like a bowling uh a bowling lane. <laughs> you know, for the ladies you get to see him run around in his underwear a lot. Yeah. Indeed you do. Or or some of the guys. <laughs> um This feels like the kind of thing Jun Fukuda probably wanted to Wanted his face off. <laughs> I feel like this probably seems like something he would would have been happier doing more often than, yeah. uh, you know. I, I agree. This, I mean, I doubt he would have had anything kind to say about it because that's just his personality. <laughs> um, where you know, someone's like, "What's your favorite movie that you did that wasn't Godzilla?" And you, none of them. I hate all movies. <laughs> um. But I, I do think it, it's almost a shame that, that there's no interviews that I know of, right? I mean, they could be out there with June Fukuda talking about these two movies and, you know, especially like this first one and uh, what, what kind of he liked about doing it because yeah. it'd be really interesting. I've never even seen anyone talk to Takarada about him, you know, I Maybe I'm sure some Japanese interviews, maybe, but you know, that's that's kind of the point is, you know, these there's so much more <laughs> that that he's done. You know, I would have loved to hear, you know, what it was like making these. You know, a lot of them they seem like a lot of them are shot on uh, a lot of the scenes are shot on location. I mean, I I guarantee you, there's there's stories to be to be heard. Yeah. And if you could ever get an interview with Miyahama, you know, like a main, a more mainstream one probably wouldn't talk about this either because they would talk about Bond, Godzilla, Godzilla and Bond. Yeah. Bond. yeah. You know, she, so. She's pretty elusive anyway. There, there was an interview, some like mainstream magazine or something did with her a few years ago. And it was like, she just like likes to, she's just like leading a normal life now and She's like, yeah, you know, I used to act, but you know, I kind of just like chilling. (laughs) 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 Um, I don't know. There, there, there. I there's so much you could more you could say about this movie. I don't know how much more. A very good score by Masaru Sato. Oh yeah, both of these have really good scores. Yeah, he's he's got some good stuff here. Total, total Masato, you know, what you, what you would think of if I said, you know, Masaru Sato scored a, uh, June Fukuda directed spy movie in the sixties. Right. I mean, it feels, it feels very, uh, feels very sea monster kind of inspired. Uh, it's in that same sort of vein. Um, also same sort of vein as like Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla. Um, Cause yeah, the, I think the one the one thing about Sato is he does sometimes 
get lumped in or thought of, especially by people who only know his Godzilla stuff, as being just a very poppy, mm-hmm. not pop, but like, you know, upbeat. Like he, he could throw some weight behind his scores oh, yeah. too. Um, you know, he did a bunch of Kurosawa movies. He's not scoring those the same way he's scoring this. Right. Um, <laughs> I hope not. But <laughs> you watch that movie. I live in I live in fear with this score. I want to mention, no, it's if you're if you're the person, the type of person who I'll I'll cop to being you know one of them for a very long time, who is basically familiar with Sato's Godzilla work. uh, That's what this sounds a lot like. I want to mention the barrels thing because, like, there's a sequence in this movie where uh, they get cap, they get captured, and they're about to get executed. And uh, during the course of the movie, like, there's a couple sequences where they give people kind of last rites, like, where you have one last request. What is it? They're like, well, I want to smoke. So they give them cigarettes, but they give them a thing of matches. And there are these barrels that are all open. They're um, basically vacant oil drums. And to get out of them, Akira Takarada starts like taking the matches and like lighting them and like throwing them into the the hole of the barrel, like almost like gambit, like throwing cards. And the barrel starts shooting and like smacking people in the face, and it goes on for like five minutes. But I gotta admit, like it was so glorious to watch. And like the barrels are like, flying on people and blowing up. And towards the end of the scene, there's a barrel in the middle of the set that's like clearly on a string, just bouncing straight up and down multiple times. That <laughs> made me like just die laughing but like it's so much fun to watch the insanity of that sequence um i i it, it, it was it was like something that just like i don't know, had a blast with oh it's it's like that perfect um level of like just absolutely insane like yeah like just that insane level of like japanese uh humor where, where it's this crazy crazy thing but also, like every time a barrel smashes someone in the face or the back of the neck, like their eyes start spewing blood. <laughs> like, we, well, like, uh, freaking like flies through somebody with an airplane and cuts them into, <laughs> like, it's insane. The, the stuff that happens in this movie, like, it's, I, it's so. It feels like not predictable, and then you have you know the charisma. This movie feels wholesome, but has those like moments where the stakes are also very high, and it's a really interesting balance. And I just like it's it's a pretty fun movie. I had a, a lot of fun. There's watching. um yeah we we definitely should mention the the airplane like chase and rescue scene, and um how yeah the one like gun smuggler guy jumps out and runs into the propeller of the other plane and is, you just see him like <laughs> splatter on their windshield that's a great like that's a really cool um sequence though too it is of, it's really well done yeah you know he is andy hoshino is is being taken prisoner and he's on like a little like prop engine plane um, from the uh, the arms smuggler guy, and uh, Miyahama and and Arashima go to kind of rescue him on an, another prop plane, and the arms smuggler, you know, jumps out and leaves uh, 
leaves Takarada to crash and die. And Arashima then like climbs down a ladder to, you know, he has, he has Miyahama kind of fly the plane on level with the other plane and climbs down. And it's a really, really fun action sequence. Um, that's, that's pretty well staged. Yeah. Um, no, it's, it's, it's a good time. Um, I, I mean, I, there's also, you know, uh, the recurring gags with, um, Takarada's hat. I mean, there, there's all kinds of just hijinks that are really amusing. There's the part where, uh, there's the one deaf henchman who has the hearing aid and, um, Takarada (laughs) tricks him into thinking that, uh, like, he 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 moves his mouth like he's talking and tricks him into thinking his hearing aid isn't working. So then he turns it up and then he makes a loud sound to like disorient him. Um, there's like a crazy like kind of sword fight <laughs> like in a warehouse. There's all kinds of crazy awesome stuff in here. Um, and uh, yes, yeah, it's, it's a really good time. I mean, I I, I highly recommend this movie. Yeah. And I, there's I think, Miyahama walking around in a bikini. Oh yeah, she um, she looks amazing. There's there's actually a pretty good joke about that at one point too, where she's like, she's like smuggling in her plastic explosives, and it's because she says like, oh, I I hit him in a in a really cheeky place or something like that, and never and like Takarada's like, ooh, and she's like, don't get any crazy ideas. I just hit him in my bra, and it's like, uh, that's that's all. That's pretty crazy, you know, like. Um, so yeah, there's, there's some fun had with, with the, there's, there's always a, there's, it seems like there's always a person in this movie who's just walking around in their underwear. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, I no, it's great. I mean, I, I guess if I have any, um, any, any kind of complaints, uh, if it's your, I, I, this is my second time watching this one. Um, if 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 it's your first time seeing it, you might be a little bit. Uh, I mean, the movie goes so quick, so you might you might need a you might not quite uh, understand, you know, what gang what character is on and who's affiliated with who, super easily. But um, uh, I mean, it, it's just a fun movie. Um, we could talk about this movie for a long oh, time, and, I'm sure. And also, Takarada speaks, obviously, Japanese, but French and English in the movie. And yep. I can't speak to his French, because I, I don't know shit about French. Um, but his English is not terrible. Well, he he went he goes through all of Latitude Zero speaking English. and yep. He does quite a bit of English in uh, The Last War, also. Um... So anyway, like I said, there's a lot to say about this movie. We could go on forever. Um, so do we want to just uh, kind of give our, our, our scores? Yes. I'll, I'll go first. I don't think I liked it entirely as much as either of you, but this is my first time watching it. Um, and, and I'm at a really strong three and a half with the, the probability of watching it again and, and liking it even more. Um, there's just... <laughs> There is a lot going on, and I think uh, Bird, as Bird pointed out, he 
getting caught between the two different like gangs and telling who is who initially is is kind yeah. of hard to decipher. And and cuz there's also a lot of middlemen that uh Yeah. the gangs use to like negotiate with, you know, the big boss, the la boy guy and um, you know, and they and they're and like they're they don't have an allegiance. So yeah, it's just a lot to kind of keep up with. I will say, uh, knowing the the end twist of this movie, and you know when you learn what uh, Andrew Hoshino really is, um, it does kind of play a little different when you watch it a second time. Um, uh, But uh, yeah, no, it's a good time. I I have nothing really more to add. Uh, I I think a lot of people that listen to this podcast would really enjoy it. Um, I know it's not quite as sci-fi horror fantasy is is the kind of stuff we'd usually talk about um but uh i mean if you like godzilla versus the sea monster especially like check it out sign up for you know a trial period on criterion if you have to you know and watch these but uh good stuff i i give it a four yep yeah i don't have anything else to add um, I, I even, I, it's weird cause I struggled to think of any big negatives, right? I mean, I just, I really like this and, uh, you know, it, it's well paced as well. So it's not like it lingers too long or anything like that. Um, so it's weird to be like, I can't think of anything I dislike per se, but yeah, I'm, I'm also at a four, right? It, but it's a, I mean, a four is a good score. I, I really, really dig this movie. Um, it's just, a, it's a lot of fun. It's, it's very, you see the bond influences, but you also don't get too. it's not just a straight parody, right? They're not just doing scenes from bond movies. Um, but you do have like the henchmen that like the dispatch people in, interesting ways versus just shooting them or whatever and uh all the spy hijinks and yeah you get the femme fatale and you know um spoilers i guess for a movie that's um almost 60 years old but he gets the girl at the end you know like that's very bond-esque but uh yeah i'm at a very strong four out of five exploding barrels breaking necks Um, all right, so uh, that movie was released in 1965, um, and uh, there wouldn't be a sequel until 1968. Um, however, something interesting does happen between the two movies, which is uh, Toho strike a deal uh, with Rankin-Bass to make a live-action version of their King Kong cartoon uh, that would eventually become King Kong Escapes. Uh, I'm sure many people know that uh, King Kong Escapes didn't always start as King Kong Escapes. Um, it, got, it was, at one point, uh, King Kong versus Ibira, um, which got turned into Godzilla versus the Sea Monster. They just took a Sharpie and crossed out Kong and wrote Godzilla. <laughs> Uh, which explains, like, horny Godzilla and a lot of the weird stuff in there. Um, Now, that movie, uh, 
of course, King Kong escapes. Uh, Rank and Bass weren't happy with with King Kong versus Abira because it wasn't as similar as they wanted it to be to their cartoon. Um, however, going back to the King Kong versus Abira script, um, uh, so that was actually uh, retooled and com- that that script was uh, something that came as a result of retooling and combining uh, its own elements with a- another shelved screenplay, which was a proposed 100 shot, 100 killed movie called Big Duel in the South Seas. Um, and of course, Godzilla versus the Sea Monster eventually, when it was first released, uh, its title was Godzilla, Ibera, Mothra, A Great Duel in the South Seas. Um, so what, wa- what, what from Sea Monster is from that unmade uh, 100 shot, 100 killed movie is anyone's guess. Uh, if I had to theorize, I would probably say the Red Bamboo uh, and the Island Locale. If I, you know, I, I'm just speculating, but I, I would assume because that's the stuff that feels the most like it's part of this series to me. Yeah, um, that and you know, just some of the almost like some of the set pieces in a way, right? Like slinking around and cracking some safes. And um, I feel like, I almost feel like, especially the one where, um, you know, they're, they're crawling around, they hit the boots of Harada, stand up and look him in the eye. And then Takarada gives this like um, sheepish sort of, Oh, you got me. And then hits the smoke bomb and throws it, and they run. Like that feels a hundred percent like something. Like as a set piece, that feels a hundred percent like something that would come out of one of these two movies. Yeah. <laughs> um, which again, it's you know, uh, that's that's why I, I'm telling the 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 sea monster fans to check these out. You know. Um, I often said, even before I saw these, like Godzilla versus the Sea Monster is one of the Godzilla movies where like you could take the monsters out of it and I would still watch it and think it was awesome. So if you've ever said or thought that, that's what these movies are, <laughs> basically. Yeah. Um, so um, uh, then uh, I'm assuming because that didn't get made, it's like there's a trilogy and there's like a part a first one and then like the years the second one should have happened and then we go to 1968 which what would be the third one which is in reality the second one um which is booted babe busted boss um known here in the states as golden eyes um i which i, I i'm pretty sure was a later title that once again was like trying to trick people into thinking it was a Bond movie, like Golden Eye. Um, the original international title, I believe, was Iron uh, Iron Finger Strikes Back. Um, even though nobody is named Iron Finger in these. <laughs> um, well, and, and the villain doesn't return, you know, <laughs> like, because... You could call you could call the villain Iron Finger since he's smuggling guns or, you know, iron, kind of. Right. Um, but he doesn't come back. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, 
So, uh, any volunteers to break this one down a little bit? I guess I'll I give it a can, shot. Uh, oh, what, what? Okay. oh, what? Oh, what? Do it. Do it. <laughs> okay. So, June Fukuda is back to direct a uh, screenplay by Michio Suzuki, returning from the first movie. Uh, not returning is Okamoto. Uh, instead, uh, Fukuda co-writes this one, um, and uh, third writer is Aogawa, who um, people probably would know most for uh, writing the Bloodthirsty trilogy as well as Yogg Monster from Space, or Space Amoeba. Um, uh, again, some familiar faces... Um, we have uh, Mibari Maida, who people know um, she was the female protagonist and son of Godzilla. Um, Yoshio Tsuchiya is kind of the uh, the 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 number two uh, in uh, in command villain. Um, Andrew Hughes uh, uh, he has a bigger role in this one as the big bad. Um, he's the main villain. Um, and then uh, Tomomi Sawa, who's another female protagonist who uh, I don't think she acted much. I don't know that I've seen her in anything besides this. Um, so uh, <clears throat> this one, um, I'll do my best. This one, I, I mentioned uh, the last movie kind of being a lot with the movie is fast-paced and with so many characters, with so many different sides and stuff. Uh, this movie kind of has that problem. Maybe it's a little more convoluted, so maybe a little a little worse. It's still a fun movie, but it, it's still like, you know, it 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 has a lot more of that. Um, but um, uh, to kind of talk about, um, I guess the the plot. Uh, so Andrew Hoshino. Uh, I guess spoiler alert. <laughs> um, but at, at the end of the last movie, it's revealed that he is a hitman. And, you know, the whole time he's been going after this guns uh, dealer and stuff. Um, for whatever reason, he's decided to keep the Andrew Hoshino identity. Um, and he is in uh, Beirut. And uh, in Beirut, he's, you know, just chilling, uh, doing some target practice with a shotgun. I don't know that it's ever said like, why he's there. <laughs> um, uh, and uh, he happens upon uh, uh, Lieutenant Tezuka, um, not played by Ichiro Arashima, and uh, inexplicably replaced by the very different-looking and acting Makato Sato. Um, and he's like... Uh, he's there... Because he there's this like gold smuggling ring that they're they're trying to uh to to disrupt um and so uh this this little girl that uh he meets in Beirut she um she is telling him about how her her father was murdered and she she uh she sees. Hoshino doing uh, his target practice, and she's like, you know, are you a hitman? And he's like, oh, haha, what? <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and she's like, I know you're a hitman. She's like, you know, uh, she basically gives him this uh, silver dollar, an American dollar. Um, and she's like, you know, this is all I have, but can you 
like find the person that killed my dad and he's uh he gives her like a big stuffed teddy bear that he won <laughs> doing target practice and he's like yeah i'll do it um uh he's like uh what does he say a client is a client um so he takes the silver uh the silver dollar and um uh he kind of partners up with uh Tezuka to take down the smuggling ring um almost immediately uh he's assaulted by an exploding uh uh bouquet of flowers um and uh eventually the that silver dollar finds its way into the hands of this um this girl that uh wants to be a race car driver and uh so she's kind of stuck in the middle um as uh you know the gangsters are trying to get the coin and um you know they're trying to protect her uh and i guess the femme fatale is ruby um played by uh mibari meda from son of godzilla she is kind of in the Miehama role of the last movie as kind of someone who is kind of hired and in cahoots with the villain and then is kind of charmed by Hoshino and decides, you know, hey, this guy's going to win at the end and I want to be on his side. Um, and uh, that's pretty much the plot. We, we end up going to... Uh, like a basically a, a Japanese NASCAR <laughs> event almost, uh, which is like it's oddly enough it's like a rally for fuel, like because there there's a fuel shortage or something. Um, and I for whatever so reason a, a there's about it, <laughs> yeah. Um, which I guess like that that is a little bit kind of timely with when this movie was made. That that was like a thing happening in Japan. Um. Anyway, so I guess, that, I don't know, that's probably as much as I, I should say before we get into, you know, our, our discussion. Um, uh, and hi, hijinks ensue. Yeah. Like you mentioned, this movie's got a few more problems than the other one. You know, what Andrew's doing there in the first place and, uh, you know, just the the general plot just isn't, and the other one's not super tight either but it's even less so in this you know it's it's a little bit more just like excuse for hijinks kind of um an excuse for spy-esque hijinks um (laughs) but if you can watch the part where they're walking through like the i don't know like the, the quarry area or whatever it is and the dudes who are all dressed like nuns pushing strollers um, (laughs) all of a sudden reveal that they are dudes and not nuns. And also the strollers are not strollers. They are like submachine guns with uh, bulletproof shielding, start firing on them. And then, and then they throw a pair of, um, of automatic weapons in the middle of this open quarry and shoot at the guns that are laying on the ground in order to get the guns (laughs) to shoot at the the bad guys and cannot and can watch that part and not be having fun then like you're dead inside. <laughs> yeah, that part does rule. Yeah, there's also, a yeah. yeah, there's um loading bodies. 
Yeah, no, that that there's another part that's similar to that. But yeah, that's that's probably like the first big action scene of of the movie and like if you're not all in at that point, then you're some I don't know, something is like wrong with you chemically. <laughs> that part is in the the two guns are just like sitting like jumping up and down. <laughs> <laughs> Because Andy is shooting at the guns to get the triggers to pull. <laughs> what the? <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> um, I mean uh, the 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 cast and everyone is just as, I guess, fun as as ever. I mean, uh, um. It's not as strong to me, right? I mean, yeah, um, you don't. I mean, not not. I mean, Maida is great in it, but she's no like me. The the last movie is it's so much. It's like just as much Hama's movie as it is Takarada's, practically. I I think the villains are right. I, you mean Yoshio Tsuchiya is better than probably any villain in uh, the other movie, right? In, right, in Iron Finger. But uh, but the 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 two supporting other kind of cast members are not as quite as charming in this. Yeah, and um, I don't know. It seemed like Hama and Takarada's chemistry was just really special in the last movie. And it's not that him and Maida are no good together, but it it just it it lacks like a little bit more of that spark. I think. Yeah. Especially, yeah, if you're comparing them. And it's impossible not to since they're, you know, the same sequel, right? <laughs> since one's a sequel to the other, it's impossible to not compare them. But, yeah. Um, I do really like the part where, uh, you know, there's like a big action set piece and they're throwing the grenades, but the grenades kind of look like... Uh, like cans of beer or yeah, something? Yeah, yeah. There, there's yeah. just grenades inexplicably that are... Like, yeah, they're they're beer cans. There's a she she picks one like up the while they're driving and she opens it and he's <laughs> like, oh thanks and she's like, no, it's not what you think and then she throws it out the window and it explodes. <laughs> like that's great. And and that's the 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 cool thing is like it's not just that the action set pieces are like, you know, what the fuck is going on and weird it's that they're they're also like well staged you know and and well executed and everything like that like you're there's this you know when when she's throwing the beer grenades it's a chase sequence and like the chase is well executed and well shot and you can follow it but it's also uh it feels like a high speed chase you know so it's it's not just that the set that the action beats are funny; they're also well done. Yeah, uh, this one I think probably it's not as clever as the first one. Um, it, it's not like quite as witty, but uh, I do think. I mean, the first one had that awesome plane rescue scene, but I do think this one might step it up a, l- a little bit in the action department. You also get the part where he's on the exterior of the building. Yeah, yeah. He he has to climb from one hotel room to another. 
that that part is pretty pretty sweet. And when he gets body casted. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's there's a lot of <laughs> like uh this one kind of steps up the crazy wacky sequences a little bit, but you know, the script isn't quite as clever and like I said it's just a little more convoluted uh as far as, you know, uh I guess the plotting of it. Um since it takes place in Beirut, there's also a lot of uh Japanese actors in brownface. <laughs> yeah. Although I do yeah, believe the the I do believe the one brown detective guy is an actual like uh at the very least that's his actual skin color. Yeah, yeah. Like uh <laughs> I looked him up on IMDb and he's he's uh it's he doesn't have a Japanese name. Like it like at least they got one actual brown person. Which I guess is better than Right? That's None. better, right? <laughs> I mean it shows it shows an effort, I think, right? You know an attempt an attempt was made. Yeah. <laughs> well and I mean yeah, it's one of those things where it's it was it was never okay, right? But it was the sixties. It was a different era. Um and and yeah, I think I I think it almost shows if anything they they maybe just had a really hard time finding uh some people of color, right? And yeah, you know, especially movies, I mean these, everyone has to speak Japanese, so Well, yeah, and then yeah. these movies had all of 15 minutes to be made and 15 dollars to make it with, you know? So <laughs> uh at a certain point you have to just soldier on ahead with what you've got and what they had was all these actors who are in their other movies. So paint them up, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. At least it it shows they weren't trying to be insensitive, I guess. Well, especially because that, that I think is the other thing is this movie doesn't, doesn't really, you know, show it's not like, um, it's not like King Kong versus Godzilla. You know, it it doesn't get boonga boonga. You know, I mean, Uh, it, it definitely shows that, you know, while, while they may have made some mistakes or whatever there with, you know, painting people, (laughs) um, they, they weren't trying to be like, uh, offensive with their, they aren't, they aren't, uh, they aren't othering them. Yeah. I do like the, the, you call it target practice. It's it. It's the it's the shoot the ducks game he's playing at a carnival. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, that's a real fun sequence because that is like the the everything he shoots at he hits. Like at one point he's not looking and he's just, just pulling the trigger and the ducks keep falling down and and the dude running the carnival game is like oh my oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> um. The the the. The climactic moment in this is not as um it's it's not as fun, but it's it's maybe a little more, I don't know, cathartic, uh satisfactory. Like it's got a little bit more of that kind of interpersonal hero versus the villain feel to it, you know? Yeah, you you actually kind of see him really face off with the main villain in this uh in a way that 
don't know. There's there's more tension behind it because, uh, like yeah, he's blind, but but they say he has some kind of um, I forget what they call it. Directional something. Yeah, but ba- basically, like, in it, it's like enhancing his hearing to the point where, like, if you make any kind of like rustling, he knows where you are, and um, you know, they they show kind of how Takarada has to like kind of trick him and work around it um and uh he doesn't even do uh in the last movie like to kill the the main bad guy he's like okay you know he always does this thing where like he he sets up the 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 villain he does it for Tsuchiya in this yeah 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 where where he like sets them up like with the scenario that to make it seem like they're going to escape. He's like, okay, I have one bullet left and you know, you have a head start and go. And then, you know, the guy keeps running and he shoots and he never misses. So he kills him. Um, like that, he does that with the main villain in the last movie. And he does that with Suchia, who's like second in command in this. Yeah. He makes like some impossibly long shot. <laughs> yeah. Um, with with the main villain in the first one, he tells him something though, like, "I'm gonna throw a gun out on the beach. You can take it and like keep running, and I'll just let you go. But if you if you try to turn around, I'm gonna shoot you." And you know, the guy obviously tries to pick up the gun and turn back around, and yeah, he just shoots him. And yeah. this, it's Suchia is just kind of running from them and. They're all like, oh, he's going to get away. And he pulls out like a pistol and everyone's like, eh, you're not going to hit him with a pistol. And he just does. Yeah. This <laughs> um, one. Has, yeah, uh, this one has the part where like the they 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 kidnap the two girls and they like tie them up in like a a parking structure. And uh, and they're burning them. Yeah, it actually gets kind of gnarly. They, they're like burning them with like a car cigarette lighters from like a car. And um to save them, uh, he shoots like there. I don't know what I don't know if they establish why, but there's like a shelf of like wine bottles or like champagne bottles in the in a parking garage, <laughs> and he shoots them and like it gets champagne all over everyone, and they like slip and fall or whatever, and that that's what like gets him to you know able to to save these the 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 girls that part well, don't is worry about that part's why. yeah that part's pretty awesome though that that's <laughs> like the like the barrel scene kind of like <laughs> in the last movie you get a pretty stylish uh uh musical number in this when the girls singing in the nightclub and they keep showing like uh you know her outfits changing and against these backgrounds and um you know weird transitions with like playing cards and stuff and uh i don't know what the hell she's singing about the subtitles are just like zoomy zoomy sometimes wild yeah <laughs> she's saying like zoomy zoomy ticky ticky porsche <laughs> i don't know what any of that means but that's a really cool scene too and like uh I mean, that, there's that's, all kinds of weird stuff in the background of her too, though, like like newspaper clippings. That, that, that talk yeah, about like, about like 
the Israeli prime minister. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure what I'm not understanding there. <laughs> yeah, there's yeah, like there's our there's our unga bunga moment. <laughs> She's like Ricky Ticky Mushy Wooshy, and you're like, what, what, what is happening? <laughs> Uh, but it is it is like stylishly directed, you know, and edited. Yeah, J- Jun uh, Fukuda, he knew how to direct, you know. Right. He, he doesn't get enough enough love. Um, right. It is it is like you said. It, it's stylish, at least. Like I don't know what the hell's happening. I don't know what she's singing about, but it was cool it's, to watch. In, it's yeah. interesting to look at. Yeah, the newspaper clippings are <laughs> crazy. Um, but no, it's, uh, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I still had a lot of... And it's all its all for this gold coin. Yeah, is which is like... like uh, $20,000 or something. Yeah, it's... Uh, they... Um, yeah, the silver is actually like a fake coating, and then it it, it turns yeah. out it's this very sought after, uh, like rare gold coin, and that's that's why these gold smugglers are trying to yeah, trying the, to get it. The whole movie is about the search for this gold coin, but at the same time, he's constantly uh, obsessed about this silver dollar that he was handed. Um. And you know when you're watching the movie, actually, it uh, it doesn't seem like super, super, super obvious. It starts to towards the towards the end when he when you know like basically when the movie is over, and he's like, "What about that silver dollar?" And you're like, "Oh, I get where this is going," you know. Um, but yeah, that's he he asks about like that silver dollar and uh, puts it on his like. It's hot plate. Yeah. Yeah. It's, a, it's like they're like cooking food on it. Yeah. And, and the silver falls off and this, this seek this, that's a part though. Okay. What they have and in their hotel room, that's like a Japanese thing, right? It's almost like, uh, it's almost like a little hibachi in their hotel mm-hmm. room. Yeah. But aren't they supposed to be in London at the time? Is that a is that a don't worry about a thing? Yeah, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> um, the movie's pretty breakneck paced, though, because it's, it's not even an hour twenty minutes. Yeah, yeah. very fast. The fuel economy uh, rally—that's where the the race is, because because the the girl that. The singer girl that that winds up with the coin, she's like all into environmentalism, and so she that's why she's driving to save the fuel. She's driving with her windows up and sweating to death without the air conditioner because if they roll the windows down, it will slow down the car. They use more gas, which is actually true. (laughs) They they did a MythBusters about that. It's true. Yeah, it's not a super. Uh, it's just kind of like an amount in there. It felt like, but she's just they're just like sweating to death in the in the vehicle <laughs> during that. 
Um, yeah, I, you know, not, not quite as good as the first, but I mean, I, I still really enjoyed watching it. Um, uh, Takarada is awesome. Um, uh, uh, Mibari Maida is, is really charming. Um, the, I do wish she is, I, I, this, this movie, um, kind of made me, I don't want to say like fall in love with her or anything, but like this movie made me appreciate her as a screen presence and everything a lot more than uh son of Godzilla. Yeah, no, she's, she's, she's really in good in this. I mean, she's, she's got everything, uh, that I guess the role needs, but she, she's still, she's, she's no Mihama in the last one, but that by no means is like a bad thing. Like she still brings more to this role than she probably needs to, you know? I, I think this was an attempt or at least in her opinion, or maybe her agent or something told her this was her chance or something because, um, Rather than being credited as Tabari Maida, she's credited as Beverly Maida. Yeah, no, movie. they, um, Son of Godzilla did that too. That was kind of in that period. I, you still see it where, uh, you know, Asian actors take on more Anglo Saxon names to kind of like feel less foreign to, to, foreign markets it's unfortunate that they ever had to do that or still even feel like they have to do that but that's definitely what that was didn't um like someone pretty big had to do that or like just recently stopped doing it i can't remember but yes uh, it, it, yeah there was someone i think that stopped doing that i don't remember who that was um I can't remember. Yeah. It's not gonna it's not gonna come to me and it's not gonna make for a great podcasting for yeah. us. I, I've seen that a few <laughs> times though, like someone being like, Hey, this is my real name. <laughs> Use that instead. <laughs> um yeah, I wonder though if you know, you know, because Son of Godzilla right before this, and then this, they, that someone, her agent, her whatever, thought, oh, this is like this is our our chance, right? Because mm -hmm. everyone everyone's gonna see a Godzilla movie because it's a Godzilla movie, and then uh, this is something that feels like it has more international marketability, right? Because it's it again is is trading in on a lot of the bond kind of tropes at least right again it's these are not these are not parodies they are not ripping off specific moments and specific sequences but they are trading in on a lot of the tropes you know the 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 villains have sort of colorful and over the top aspects to them but ultimately still could exist in the real world yeah you know um i feel like that's a very bondian thing uh and i was just talking about that recently um about a different thing i was uh, talking about the 
the Red Ribbon Army in Dragon Ball and how they're similar, like kind of over the top, but at the same time could exist. Um, that's a very Bondian kind yeah. of thing. Um, but yeah, it's it's not just like Asians that would do that name change thing either. Like um, Martin Sheen, his real name is Ramon Estevez. Well, yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> uh so it it happens but uh yeah i mean i mean hulk hogan is not hulk hogan <laughs> well yeah i i mean i mean people of other ethnicities trying to well his last know. name's not even hogan right but i'm he's terry what is he terry something that's still pretty white terry <laughs> <laughs> yeah but his last name is uh is balea I don't know what kind of name <laughs> that is. Yeah. Um, anyway, yeah, and at the end, they, they go off to Vegas and live happily ever after. Uh, I guess, maybe. <laughs> we don't know. They never made any more. Um, but, uh, I mean, it's, that's a very, that's again, that's the other, like, very Bond, very, very, especially, like, 60s era yeah there's like a new girl every every time yeah is you have this girl that they start off maybe she starts off as someone that is working for the the villain or we only think that they're working for the villain or something like that's this is like that's straight out of the bond playbook of there's this girl who's involved with the villain in some way that even the hero might think is involved with the villain in some way and then you find out that she's you know only doing it to to try and backstab the villain because he's she realizes he's a bad guy or whatever. There's some mitigating circumstance that then she ends up falling in with the hero and then they end up together at the end. But then you just kind of repeat that in the next movie. Because um, doesn't, doesn't Bond get married to... He gets Maybe married Hama in um in you only live twice. Yeah, yeah, that, but she gets killed. Oh, so does he get married to uh Okabayashi then? Which one does he get married to? He gets married to Hama in uh You only live twice, right? We we need Trev. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're Trev. He you know who would I, like these movies? He would like these movies. I think so. Trev, Trev would appreciate these. Um, so, I don't know. The, not, not quite a, is, as good as the last one, but I, I still was very entertained. And um, like I said, I, I would watch, if they kept making them, I would keep watching them. Um, so I'm going to oh, yeah. give this one a three and a half. Uh, machine guns being shot and in order to shoot uh people dressed as nuns with strollers uh i th- this one as we kind of mentioned is a little bit of a step down i do think it is fun um but a, a bit more the the script not being quite as tight it being a little uh we kind of mentioned some of the 
the confusion that can take place with all the different characters and who's doing what and, and how they interact with each other. But I'm at a solid three, um, three out of five women singing on stage with uh, gibberish subtitles playing. Yeah, and uh, I'm I'm with Bird on this one. Uh, I'm at a three and a half. Uh, yeah, it's not quite as it's not quite as tight, not quite as charismatic, but it's about as fun. And so you you know you you lose maybe a little bit of just the general charisma and and cleverness but you still get all the same kind of pulpy fun over the top action moments and uh and you know trading in on the bond sort of uh tropes you know the uh the the i'm gonna I'm going to put you in a, in a situation that will very slowly kill you and just assume it all goes to plan. Uh, <laughs> that, uh, that's, it's also a really like unique one too, with the, the, uh, wrapping him in the body. Cast thing, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, <laughs> they have to soak him in the bathtub to like get it yeah. loosened up and everything. Yeah. But, uh, Oh, Hey, what's going back to, um, the other one, the, the hundred shot, hundred killed, real quick. What's the deal with the part where they're in the back of the of the truck, and they're all wearing scuba gear? Is is it like I'm I'm assuming because they they talk about how hot it is, so I'm assuming it's something that like helps them breathe better. That's what I because they have because they have like the mouth apparatus and the oxygen tank. So I'm assuming it's something that is like helping them breathe in this like place with no ventilation or anything. Maybe that's a weird. Yeah, I, I weird moment. It's got it's that's got one of my favorite jokes though, where <laughs> Takarada is like, "It's so hot in here. Isn't this supposed to be a refrigerated truck? It should be ashamed of itself." <laughs> 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 uh <laughs> no i these movies are a lot of fun uh and i i think i mean i'm seeing a lot of people like oh i just watched godzilla 54 to celebrate takarada's you know life and it's like yeah that might be one of the very best movies he's in but like, you know, I don't know. It's a bummer of a movie. Like, if you want something, like, lighthearted that, where he's showing off, like, his comedic range and his comic timing, which is brilliant, like, check these out. And like I said, if you're a Sea Monster fan and you like the humor in that movie and you feel like you could watch that movie without the monsters, I mean, these movies are Sea Monster without the monsters. So... Uh, I, I recommend them, um, highly. It's not quite the kind of thing we would normally review, but, um, you know, we, we didn't want to, you know, pick movies everyone what? has seen. And I mean, what are you going to do? You're going to get out here and talk about movies you guys have already talked about, you know, cause right, you've already yeah, reviewed yeah. all the Godzilla movies and half human. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, the, yeah, the, I mean, and the last war. Yeah. This guy has had, uh, an, and latitude um, zero. <laughs> this guy's had an amazing career and uh you know i i think it just felt right to uh kind of talk about something that you know p- 
people wouldn't think to to check out all the time. Yeah, I, I feel like the only other one you know that that you could really kind of get into would be the three treasures. But a that's not a Takarada vehicle, right? It's a it's a Mifune vehicle, and and b there's so much else kind of swirling around that movie that you got to dig into. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I this, mean, this for... was good to just talk about like, yeah, he's, he's the star here, you know? Um, so much so that he's the, the only character <laughs> and, and one of the only actors even. And that's, that's interesting because of how rare I feel that is right. You know, I mean, as a Godzilla fan watching these, movies in the 60s you see you know the the so many of the actors and especially uh the secondary actors kind of recycling through and you know there's no harada here there's no arashima there's you know there's um there's no i think like one of the other ebera guys is in uh he's in the first one is in the first one yeah he's like, the guy that, that locks him in the car yeah uh, that guy's not here. Miyahama's not here as a different character, even, you know, um, there's just, it, it's a very, like, that's, that's kind of rare, I think, for a, a Toho movie in the sixties <laughs> to have like a mostly different returning cast. Um, so these are just really good Takarata vehicles. Yeah, I, I say like check them out. A little out. extra time with a buddy. Yeah, um, and yeah, I mean, uh, it would be awesome if Criterion would just put them out on Blu-ray or whatever. But you know, I, I get it if right? they, if if they, you know, I don't know if they think they're not marketable enough whatever but you know or it put, they, they i don't think they do them anymore but start doing those eclipse sets again throw this and like a couple other movies in like a little set yeah, throw these two and i don't know you gotta have something else that's oh they got plenty i mean they they have so much similar yeah they have so many japanese movies you know but uh wait shit take take the japanese out of it maybe you take these two and I don't know what else they have in their in their catalog, right? That they have the rights to or whatever. But you take these two, and then maybe like uh, a couple of other like Bond parodies or Bond inspired kind of movies, and you have like a, a Criterion Eclipse spy set or something. You know? Yeah. Do it. You think that? Get works? on it. You lazy bums. <laughs> and then and then when you put the wrong uh image on the inside flap, I'm gonna tear you apart on social media. <laughs> <laughs> um all right. Anyway, uh no, um hell of a career this guy had, um and uh was just Seemed by all accounts uh, to be an absolutely delightful human being, um, and uh, you know, I I think we can just be the the best people we can, and that's what 
he would want everyone to do is not, you know, advocate for nuclear war and <laughs> and all that. You know, his his causes, I think, that he believed in and that he, you know, became an activist for, I think, are very relevant right now. And uh, I think we should all just keep those in our in our minds because uh, it's getting uh, a little intense out here. Yeah, and and on a like mildly lighter, mildly lighter note, like he'll be missed, and you know, um, it is a shame and everything because he was he loved to interact with his fans, mm-hmm. right? And yep. um, in you know, Bird, you mentioned he liked to make money, and so yeah, that's why he was always down to go to any convention, and he would go to a lot of them, but he also liked. He liked the limelight. He was a movie star. He liked being a star and he liked interacting with his fans. And it's the world gets a little dimmer every time someone who (laughs) enjoy actually enjoys going to these conventions and interacting with their fans and isn't just doing it to, you know, make some money and keep paying their bills when 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 a person who actually wants to interact with their fans, every time someone like that passes away and we lose someone like that, um, the, the world gets a little less bright. Um, yeah. Uh, I'm going to eventually, uh, watch these movies, Juzo Itami movies. He did that. Chris likes a lot. Cause I think criterion has some of those on there streaming as well. Um, Anyway, uh, yeah, I guess I don't have any any more final words. Matt, do you got any anything you want to send us out with? Yeah, I mean, I, I just it it's it sucks, but I I do think that um, if you're a fan of Sea Monster and you and you're a fan of Takarada in general, like these are two movies to check out. But also know, like he did a lot of other stuff that is also floating on the internet that you can find. And that would also be worth, you know, you know, checking out. And um, it's, it, it is a bummer. I mean, I don't know what else to say except for, for that. And, and I'm glad that I did have the chance to actually see him in person. I think that was kind of a cool, neat experience. Um, and also, uh, don't use nukes. That would be great, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe Putin will hear this and be like, oh, okay. I think Putin what if that happened? I- <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> With how weird just reality is right now, I mean, it uh, seems like just out of reach. <laughs> <laughs> Anything can happen now. It's it's we, the we, world is insane. <laughs> yeah. But, um. Yeah, what, if, what if it wasn't even like forget this podcast? What if Vladimir Putin is like, you know, I heard about this Japanese actor who passed away, and so. <laughs> I decided to watch one of his movies, and it really struck a chord. Yeah. Just somebody mail him The Last War. Like, please. He'll probably start, like, jerking off to it or something. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right, well, that's that's a heck of an idea to to wrap up with, so let's just stop now. Uh, thank you for listening. Uh, and like I said, we're we're trying to get back in the groove of things. So uh, we'll 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 see you next time, uh, which should be soon. Good night. Good night.
Thank you for listening to the Kaiju Transmissions podcast. Please take a moment to rate and review us on iTunes, Podbean, and Stitcher. Make sure to subscribe for all the latest episodes. You can also check us out on Twitter at KT underscore podcast. You can check us out on Instagram and Facebook at Kaiju Transmissions. And you can email us at kaijutransmissions at gmail.com if you have any questions or comments. And we will see you next time.